one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's okay, everybody. I'm back to quell the absolute shitstorm that seems to have been created during my day off on Monday. Jeez. This is what happens when you decide to spend one extra day in Vienna? You can't take one day off on. And it's not just any shitstorm, Murphy Ken. It's a bloody UFC-fueled shitstorm. Oh, the worst of kind. Particularly stormy. Oh, my David here with Ken and Murphy for today's Irish Times. Those passionate Irish fans. Second Captain's podcast there. Passionate fans. All right, in case you missed it, Dave Hannigan had been left unimpressed by what he had seen at Madison Square Garden last Saturday night. Mark Horgan presenting the show in my absence. Agreed with Dave about the ludicrousness of comparing Conor McGregor to Muhammad Ali. Ken here stepped in to play the role of devil's advocate slash wind-up merchant. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's cheap, Owen. I think uh, you're mischaracterising uh, what I was doing. I thought uh, I think I, I stand by the point that I made. You did make it with a big smile on your face, though. You were enjoying making the point then. I was enjoying seeing Mark's face turn to that <laughs> puce colour. His head literally exploded off his shoulders. Before you pedants out there inform me that I've misused the term literally, of course, Murphy, know that as of August 2013, the dictionary definition has been amended to include being used for emphasis. Has it? Yes, that happened in 2013 and it keeps escaping people's attention. It's ridiculous. Essentially, everybody kept getting using it in the, in the incorrect fashion. Mm. As I would have said, I had just used it up until then. And then they decided the, the boffins can... The word boffins at the dictionaries. Nerd right. nonsense. <laughs> Those guys, they decided, ah, yeah, if you can't beat him, join him. We'll include that. We'll include it to mean figuratively as well. As but it, mean, it's, it means exactly the opposite of what it's yeah, now supposed to mean. I know. I know. Mm. I don't like it any more than you do, but that's a crazy world that we live in. To begin the healing, anyway, I sat down with Mark Horgan to elicit a response to all the criticism he has shipped since hosting Monday Slot. There's no doubt that Mark enraged all the Conor McGregor super fans out there, but he now recognises the error of his ways. And he's recorded the following message for today's show. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> yeah, still no word from the Dave Hannigan camp. He's buried, uh, sifting through the many... Well, videos. Dave, I saw was, was retweeting a few of the um, critical 
comments that he got from lis- disappointed listeners. Uh, he didn't. He seemed to be bearing up okay <laughs> uh, under the pressure. I mean, people were were complaining. Oh, there's a lack of uh, knowledge, a lack of expertise. I mean, uh, I think that Dave Dave is a, a journalist who we respect. He went to the event. He was there to see it, and it was. I mean, he's not an expert on uh, mixed martial arts. He's not. He is, you know, a good sports journalist who was covering an event, and we were interested to hear what his impressions were. I mean. I guess people maybe if people didn't agree it's not somebody saying something that you don't agree with is not necessarily a personal attack on you you know what I mean it's it's just a different opinion it's somebody who has a different opinion from you it's okay you know You're, the world is a big place you feel that is the way sometimes that McGregor fans take any sort of what they would see as denigration of McGregor's achievements. Well, a- an attack on them, an attack on, on what they represent. Well, there is there is a real... I mean, I'm not, I don't think... Hang on, I thought, I thought I was quelling the shitstorm. Yeah. It's We're not now just, relitigating it, but uh, that's, that's fine. I'm not suggesting that, that it's only Conor McGregor fans who, who... This subject taps into some strong emotions. I mean, like I said, look at the colour of Mark Horgan's head as it threatened to explode. You know, it's, it's, people get excited about this. He taps into something. Mm. Um, with people who are defending him, I mean, there's, uh, there, there's obviously he's a, he's a, a figure of pride for a lot of Irish people. Their new world <laughs> of the championship. Well, he is. I mean, he is. You know, Irish people feel really proud. You know, to have a, an outstanding, you know, a kind of a, a global celebrity, a global, a world sporting champion. You know, there's not too many of them. Um, I mean, I do wonder how many of the same people would feel about Conor McGregor if. Uh, instead of like a gorilla on his chest, he had a he had the queen's face and had a big poppy banner as you know as on his ring walk. Would there be the same connection? Would there be the same love? No, uh, you don't think so. It's well, no, a, but I, I mean why? to be fair, I, I, I don't know the po- don't know the point you're making. Obviously, he's Irish, therefore Irish. But is that why? Him, but... Is is it a, is it a question of supporting him because he's Irish? Because he's an, an Irish guy? Is that? I think Or is it more to do with his individual personal qualities? I would say that it's seventy five percent Irish man doing well, twenty five percent. There was a there was how a, he goes about his business. There was a debate then about the um, you know one of the things that uh, Jonathan Liu, uh, the Telegraph writer, wrote a piece yesterday where he um, he also took a critical view of it. He mentioned a few things. One of the things was uh, was to do with the financial exploitation of the fighters and the fact that they're underpaid. Most of them are, are underpaid. In fact, even Conor McGregor feels like he's underpaid. Um, and maybe he is. You know, the, the, the management, the ownership takes so much of the of the pie. There's very little left over. For, that was one of the issues he raised. But the, I think the more emotive issue that annoyed people, you know, they could see people commenting on it, oh, this shoddy, ill-informed, lazy, you know, how do you get paid for this? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, was the suggestion that people are interested in blood that really it's the blood the violence the kind of the lawless thrill i'm not sure if that was a phrase that he used but something along those lines of seeing you know someone get properly monstered bleeding beaten dragged out of a ring you know blood scraping like that leaving yeah, i a, understand leaving a skid mark of blood yeah, yeah, on we, the ground right you, make your point make people, your point sir people are saying that's not that's not what it's about that's not what it's about. It's a, it's a contest of skill. I watch because I see the, the technique. You know, there's incredible skill involved in this sport, you know? And people say even the, even the boring bits when they're lying on top of each other, you know, nothing much seems to be happening. They're almost the most skillful bits. 
it's you know, and, and I watch for the skill. And I think to myself, really, I don't know if it's just a skill. I mean, synchronized swimming. What are the figures for it? Like, it's got to be one of the most skillful sports out there. But there's just something a bit peaceful and laid back about the whole vibe around synchronized swimming. That I don't know. It doesn't tend to get the fencing. Fencing is pretty skillful. Does anybody watch it? If they were to take off all the protective gear and use real weapons, what would be the most watched sport in the Olympics? <laughs> what would it would fencing be the most watched sport? If you, and you're talking about like the fight to the death. Yeah. Well, not necessarily to the death. I mean, to wound each other. That'd be pretty highly. I mean, highly death paid. would be would be uh, I guess a risk. I'll tell you one thing. I think it would be. I think it would be a ratings blockbuster. It would make the rest of the modern pentathlon a bit of a struggle it for was. the. For the beaten fencer, if they have to then go they'd on, have to mix it up. they definitely have to make that the last. Yeah, the last fencing event. would be the key event mm. in the modern pentathlon. There's only one way that he can clamber back up onto that podium, and that's by killing all of his competitors. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, 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 I don't think it makes any sense to deny that that uh, the the violence, you know, is the spectacular violence is is part of the appeal. And Dana, Dana White says that. You know, he's it's one of his little things that he repeats, you know, when he's, whenever he's giving little talks, you know, he, he says, when he's trying to big up the UFC and explain why, in his opinion, it's going to become the biggest thing in the world, it's because uh, fighting has got a universal appeal that, you know, transcends, you know, whatever culture you're from, you know, whatever part of the world you're in, you can understand what it means to see two people, you know, fighting each other and you know trying to beat each other up it's it's just something which which captures the attention you know he says from the schoolyard all the way all the way up you know and let's, let's not pretend that it's all just about wow the skill you know watch tennis like for skill what there's all there's all kinds of contests of skill this has got an extra element as well i should also mention once again in my absence we record a podcast that gets a huge amount of listens it's a recurring theme that doesn't prey on my insecurities at all <laughs> not at all hit it I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Today's scumbag is Liam here in Kalima, Kalima in Mexico. As per usual, I was listening to your podcast in my hammock. Then I heard Mark's comments about McGregor only being interesting for Irish people. This stirred me into so much of a rage that I decided to forego my 11.30 cerveza and send this email. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I choose to believe, Liam, that this is his life in Mexico. I spent Saturday night here with Mexicans going more crazy for Connor than I was. Our Latino brethren were every bit as believing in the hype as we Irish are. It's come to such a stage that questions about him are starting to interrupt my 12 to 12.30 hammock nap. Also, I have to pretend that all the Irish are into UFC and we practice knee bar submissions on the streets. All the best <clears throat> from Liam, who has the last word on yeah. the record today. Well, they are. Second last word. Go on, Ken. They are. I mean, it's you know, it's it's kind of a generational thing. I mean, do you do you roll? Sorry, mate. I said. Sorry, mate. I said. Sorry, mate. What was that? Do you roll? Do I roll? Yeah. Uh, You're gonna have to explain it for me, Ken. Sorry. Well, I mean, have you not? Have you ever considered jujitsu? No, no. A friend of mine has taken it up though in in recent months. Yeah. And uh, he sends photographs to a WhatsApp group of six gentlemen, gentlemen of around my age, and we all laugh heartily at these photographs. But I mean, hey, I don't know what listen. you're laughing. I don't know what you're laughing at. I don't know what you're laughing at. They're prepared for. Are you prepared for another armed combat situation? 
<laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely well, not. A friend, a friend of mine, uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought he, he would necessarily be a, a martial arts guy. Like, he's an ophthalmologist. Mm. Um, took it up. They're a, they're tough sons of bitches, though. I have to say the opposite. <laughs> you don't mess with them. No. Uh, he he was he was really enjoying it for a while, but uh, he popped his knee, and it's it's an occupational hazard. But uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's something that a lot of people are doing now. You know, let's let's not uh, trash talk this. It's a bit of a generational marker as well. I find. I was fascinated by your account, Ken, of the of your trip to Austria. Because oh. I was there myself. Oh, yeah. Sure, you refused to meet up with me, but that's... That's not true. That's not stage. true. You, went, you were going to a place. Owen was going to a place on the far side of town, near the Sigmund Freud Where the football house. people were. Yeah, yeah, the football yeah. men and women of yeah. Ireland. Not the journalists with filthy, their amazing food. Filthy McNasty's uh, <laughs> old-time Irish watering hole. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are quite a few Irish bars in Vienna. Of course they are. It's a city. It's a reasonably big city, therefore there are quite a few Irish bars. But now, the, the respect that the Austrians had for it, that's the reason I couldn't make the podcast. I was I was there for another day just basking in this afterglow of victory. Yeah. I went for breakfast the next morning and the waiter comes over to her table and it was really nice, really friendly, uh, good English. So it's like, well done on last night, you know, very good, very good performance. And we're like, oh, shucks, you know. Was, <laughs> uh, where are you now in the group? Uh, first, second, we were like, nah. we're first. Actually. And honestly, we said it and we went, oh, Jesus Christ, we're first. <laughs> this is amazing. There's been a few games. This Austrian waiter respects us or else just wants a big tip. But either way, <laughs> This you guys, you guys really know the game. <laughs> you know, I love how you Irish play football. Yeah, you know that's what that's what they're thinking. You know, it's a weird feeling. It's an amazing, amazing feeling. On the show later, the Conor McGregor of the broadcasting world, the man who puts bums on seats. That's U.S. Murph, of course, who has sold out our big live show uh, in early December. Uh, but we'll, we're going to get into the rugby right now, Simon, because the New Zealand and Ireland teams are in for Saturday, and the big news from Ireland. So you want to talk about the ultra-violent, moderately popular sport of rugby? <laughs> um, yeah, the big news is Sean O'Brien is in at seven. Highly jo- skilled as well, Simon. Highly skilled, <laughs> yeah. Jordy Murphy is obviously out injured, so Sean O'Brien's come in at seven. A bit of a surprise, considering he's come back from injury. Was good, but not amazing against Canada. So Van der Fleer remains on the bench, and then Paddy Jackson comes in at out half instead of Joey Carberry. The other tight calls, maybe Keith Earls suggests he might come in for Zebo or for Ringrose mm-hmm. on the bench. That hasn't happened. Ian Henderson's on the bench instead of Ulton Delan, who sat out training today. So Ulton Delan was our standard performer against Canada, but it uh, looks like injuries held him back. Ian Henderson has been injured for the last few weeks, um, but you would suspect Joe Schmidt doesn't take chances with these sort of things, so we can assume Ian Henderson's fully fit. Yeah, it's only, I suppose you could argue it's a chance he's taken with Sean O'Brien, but we'll get on to that. In again. terms of, I think more in terms of form probably than fitness. Yeah. You know, uh, is he like Van der Fleer is at the peak of his form at the moment? Sean O'Brien probably isn't. So it's assuming Sean O'Brien's graph is going to go up in the next week. And New Zealand's team looks insanely strong. Looks better. Looks uh, in about five positions, it looks better. All right. Shane Horgan is ready to go. Shane, this the big news, obviously, is that Sean O'Brien is in. You must be, well, actually, I don't want to presume anything. Are you happy enough with that? Yeah, I'm surprised, actually. It's not really the Joe Smith playbook. Uh, I think probably. Um, when he's talking to the players, he's talking about um, spending time getting back into the squad and earning your place. Um, I think it's probably um, one of the only positions on the park that he would have parachuted somebody in. And Sean did very well at the uh, weekend against Canada. He burst a lot of tackles. Uh, he does provide something that uh, van der Fleer doesn't, um, but I'm still kind of surprised that he's done it. Simon is making the point on Monday show that... Uh there could be an argument on behalf of picking Sean O'Brien based on not just how good he is for Ireland, but 
uh, at his best, but also how good New Zealand think he is. He's one of the few players that they really know much about, and they were talking about him again this week. Jerome Kaino was saying that we like to go out and prepare against the best. We consider him one of the best. It would be great if he's running out there and he'll be chomping at the bit to come up against us. So, I mean, yeah, platitudes maybe, but would that be part of Joe Schmidt's thinking that this is a guy that New Zealand have to uh, tailor their game plan around to a certain extent? I'm not sure. I think there's the pluses and minuses where you think um, you know, Van der Fleer came on pretty early on the game. I'm sure the New Zealanders wouldn't have known them aside from the analysis they've done. Something probably similar with Jordy Murphy. Uh, and both those guys did exceptionally well and ended up beating New Zealand. So um, from that perspective, maybe identifying one of Ireland's best players and having specific focus on it uh, may actually be a negative. But that said, you look at things... Um, the other way and the possible advantages that come out of it is that if they are attracted to Sean O'Brien there's going to be space elsewhere plus identifying Sean O'Brien and what he can do and trying to stop it are two different things Well Joe normally actually in any sort of a close call will go with the player who's fitter um, this is a break from protocol to an extent do you think it's a risk? Um, I think there's an element of a risk and I do think that it's probably only Sean O'Brien that he would do it with in the first team although he's made a big call uh, on the bench as well um, with Henderson coming in I think it's it's very ambitious um, I think he's probably he, he may not have done it if uh, he may not have brought Sean right in if it wasn't for um, the fact that Jordan Murphy uh, got injured I think he may have you know, got onto the bench I don't know if he brought him straight in um, but it, do, it certainly shows an ambition uh, that they probably think they're going to have to do something different than they did last week uh, to beat this New Zealand side. Shane, the New Zealand team, the, you, the strength of it is obviously insane and it looks probably a lot stronger. Whitelock and Retallick are back in there. Uh, Leonard Brown, Fekatoa, and Israel Dag in the back line. That's one third of a team there. Uh, not that the guys who were playing were any mugs, but you've also got guys like Aaron Smith who's picked again. There's a bit of faith gone into him. Uh, he can't possibly have as bad a game, so... There's more than a third of a team there that maybe looks like already it's going to prove a stronger line-out than a couple of weeks back. It's going to be stronger, uh, certainly. And you're right, I know you didn't mean it in the term, but line-out is going to be stronger, and that's a key area for them. Um, Ritalik and Whitelock are two you know, brilliant ball carriers and distributors and almost run like centres, but also they'll tighten up the line-out. You can't imagine uh, that to be as uh, as dreadful as it was for um, New Zealand last time out, and I can't you know, imagine that the defence will be quite as bad either. So um, I think there's going to be a significant difference there. I think the selection of Israel Tag is interesting as well. Um, Ireland thoroughly dominated New Zealand in the, the air, and it was a key area of um, the Irish performance, and it was a key detriment in the New Zealand performance. Um, I think they're looking to tighten that up a little bit. I think those two areas, if they're shored up, it's going to make for you know it's going to make for New Zealand to have um, a lot more effective um, uh, chance of beating Ireland. I think that probably informs the decision of of O'Brien at, at number seven. We may need even more line busts, and we had a lot of a lot of busts in that game. I think we got busts out of areas that we don't normally expect to get them. But um, Joe is going to recognise that New Zealand aren't going to be quite as bad in a number of areas again. So we're going to have to bring something else to the table and. You know, I'd imagine that's what the strategy is uh, with uh, getting O'Brien on from the start. Yeah, and just to double back on O'Brien, actually, because uh, we're getting quotes in as we speak from the press conference. Schmidt says, we probably thought it was better that Sean started that came off the bench. He needs a bit of time to warm up and feel his way into the game. Josh did well off the bench in Chicago. 
Yeah, I don't really buy that. You're not going to be feeling your way into any games against New Zealand. And if you need to feel your way uh, into games, I think uh, there's potential that um, you know you're going to cause, uh, you know, going to have a mistake, or you're going to uh, there's going to be a lapse, and, and New Zealand will um, capitalise on that right from the, the first moment. So I think um, you know I don't know Joe does messaging very well. I think that's um, a, you know fairly easy message to, to have, but I don't think he's going to be saying to. Uh, Sean O'Brien, Sean, listen, work your way into the game and hopefully we get something out of you after 10 or 20 minutes. It's just not the way things operate. I think, you know, given that he may blow up just because he's not used to, he hasn't played, um, uh, you know, a full international in quite a long time, I think that's probably more what, again, informs the decision uh, to play from the start. He blows up after 50 minutes or blows up after 60 minutes, uh, then you can easily take him off at that point and bring on uh, Josh. Uh, Steve Hansen this week was describing uh, New Zealand as underdogs. Uh, the bookies give New Zealand a 15-point advantage, however. Would you read anything into what New Zealand are saying? Do, does it tell, they, they never speak this way ahead of a game, certainly not in a game against Ireland. D- is that of any relevance to you? I think it's nonsense, to be honest with you. They don't think they're underdogs. Um, just because you're stating it doesn't make it so... Um, I think they will be confident that they will beat Ireland. I think they'll expect to beat Ireland and they will really be focused on beating Ireland. And you know, I think what we have heard from New Zealand this week is um, a number of the... I know they say they don't complain or they don't make excuses, but they tend to make excuses any time they get beaten. I think it's just part of the mentality of being an all-black. They do see themselves or their procedures, certainly within their own country, as almost at a, uh, unbeatable when everything, uh, when playing to their best. Um, but I think it's not just about um, waiting for New Zealand not to play their best. It's Ireland effectively stopped New Zealand from playing as well as they can. And that's what they need to do again. The other key ingredient in this is Ireland need to retain possession. And not just retain possession ineffectually working side to side. They need to continue on the ambition that they showed last week. Um, but they do, they do want to make sure that New Zealand have, I would say, you know, less than than uh, certainly less than 45% of the ball, um, as we saw in that first half uh, in Chicago. You know, when they don't have the ball and they're uh, for long periods, they can't score. And uh, they also, if they don't have the ball for long periods, they get it. They can sometimes get a little flustered when they do get the ball. We saw later on in the game when they became, when they had a few um, more, um, they had a bit more possession. You saw that fluidity came back to the game in the second half, and that's why Ireland did so well to to uh, to. Um, win the game out in the final reckoning. But uh, I do think that, it's again, it's a messaging coming from Hansen, and I certainly don't believe it. I was looking through the history of Ireland-New Zealand results over the years, and every time we pushed them close, uh, say in 92, it was 24-21 to New Zealand Dunedin, it was 59-6 to New Zealand the next week. In 02, it was 15-6 in Dunedin to New Zealand, and then it was 40 points to 8 to New Zealand in Auckland. And in 2012, it was 22-19 in Christchurch and 60 nil the following week in Hamilton. And as the game draws closer, there's a bit of talk in the Irish camp about the idea of a New Zealand backlash or revenge. Schmidt spoke, spoke about poking the bear. Rob Carney spoke about how they reacted the time he played. He pushed them close once in a game. Then the next game, he just had a horrible time and just got that sense of anger from the New Zealand team. Is there any danger in the Ireland, Irish team and Irish camp talking in that way, about in a fearful way, or, or is fear a good uh, motivation ahead of a game like this? Yeah, I've always found the... Um potential for embarrassment to be quite a good motivation as well but um that level of fear is no harm obviously not fear from you know, a physical intimidation point of view but 
Um, you know, I think there you do need to to have a fear that you know if you don't do things right that you you could get embarrassed. Uh, at the same time, you need to use that fear in a really positive sense because it can't uh, constrain the way you play rugby. And in fact, I think that's very often the case uh, when we've played them. The second time, and there has been those blowouts. One, there's been a physical reckoning um, in a lot of those uh, those games. We've either been numbers down, or we've had we've been so deflated after a game the week before that um, we just haven't been able to produce. That's not going to be the case this time round. We're on, we're you know elated after the performance and win, and also we've had most of these players have had two weeks uh, recovery um, to sort of recalibrate, get everything going again, and, and fire up. Um, so. They need to continue on the ambition that they showed last time out. And even, you know, when things weren't going well uh, in that second half and New Zealand had a, a dominance, we struck back because we were willing to go after the wide spaces. We, You know, New Zealand win a lot of their games by scaring the opposition into playing a more conservative game plan. And if you if you buy into that, if you get lured into that by them, then you absolutely have no chance because they are so good when they get the ball, they will put points up. That's a given. No matter how good your defensive system is, you know I think it would be very, very surprising if they don't score at least one try at the weekend. So that means you have to go after them. You have to um, show that ambition. And so far we have. That ambition has been sometimes lacking or is, uh, has been stunted in the second game of a series. And you know, I suppose this one will hinge on whether that's the case this time round or not. There's no reason for it not to be, though, Shane, is it? There's no reason for our game plan to be stunted. As you say, surely the belief that the fact we went and scored five tries against them, and I know some of the commentary since has been along the lines of that we've, we've got to improve on that, we've got to bring even more to the game, but if you could bring a, any any sense of that attacking sort of brio that we brought a couple of weeks ago, that's I don't see why we wouldn't, why we would fall into playing conservatively having had the success. Yeah, I'll tell you what, players don't generally go out with it any game saying we're going to play conservatively mm. and I've had this conversation with you a number of times about Joe Smith's game plan and I don't believe it's a conservative game plan it's just a, it's a game plan that has conservative options in it or it's susceptible when players um, play conservatively when they don't decide to challenge their skills or they don't decide to throw the pass or they take an easier option because they're a little bit inhibited in the way they play so you know that's there and players, you know, the game plan is there. The, player allow, the game plan allows expression. Um, what happens is players tighten up if the, maybe the first you know, couple of passes don't go right. If New Zealand get off to a flyer and they start making mistakes, it's almost subconscious. It's not that they revert to playing conservative uh, game plan uh, because they think that's the way they're going to they're going to win. It's that you know the effect of circumstance uh, limits what they're trying to do and. You know, to some degree, that's what New Zealand impose on them. To 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 another degree, it's how the players are, are, you know, how they're interacting with each other, how their skill level is at the start of that game, and if there is, if it isn't going well, how they can shake off that idea of, listen, I'm just going to make sure I catch this ball. I'm going to run really hard into contact. I'm going to run into a, into a, into a bit of a gap when that's not the right thing to do. When there is more space outside, and that's a very difficult thing to overcome. Um, but they did it two weeks ago, and um, and hopefully that will be the same again this week. Because if it's not, they won't win against New Zealand. Shane, Ireland have built massive leads in the last two tests against New Zealand. And in both second halves, either our defence dropped off or their attack upped its game a little bit. Um, just wondering what you've seen in terms of an impact from Andy Farrell. And if 
like it's unlikely we're going to build that sort of a lead again. You would expect us to be have to be more consistent in the second half than we have been in the last two games. Yeah, I think we might see, or I think if I was the one critique of Joe, I thought maybe he should have made some of the uh, changes a little bit earlier because you know these are very explosive, very uh, powerful runners from New Zealand. Um, so I think you know the type of challenge that New Zealand uh, supply against Ireland or against any team means that you know if you start falling off tackles, if you don't get shoulder on, if you don't get a good rack, wrap and leg drive then they will break tackles and they'll offload the ball. And um, I think Ireland have to be wary of that. And one of the ways to, to prevent that is having fresh legs on, fresh communicators and, and guys who, who are able to get um, those key um, elements of the tackle um, affect those key elements of the tackle. All right, so we'll let you go. Shane, we are getting excited again, though. What do you reckon, two in a row? Well, uh, it was on. one in a row was okay first time out, <laughs> and I was pretty happy with that. It's not going to be a disaster if we don't win this game. Um, I think it will be, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what the outcome is. Whether it's a win or not, I, I would suspect that New Zealand will win the game. But I think we'll see a lot about this group of players and where Ireland are going and and where how where they'll be in the Six Nations uh, with regard to you know the, the next performance. You know, Simon mentioned there we've after good performances against New Zealand, we've had blowouts um, against us. This time round, we've, we've changed history a couple of weeks ago. We can change that history again. And even if that's the only history we do change, that would be a milestone in itself. It'd be heartbreaking, Shane, if they put in a bad performance, Ireland, wouldn't it? Would it tarnish the first win? Um, it would tarnish it immediately, but it wouldn't tarnish it uh, historically. All right, good enough, Shane. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a mil. Thanks a mil, guys. Bye. Why are you patting yourself on the back there, Murph? Literally, literally patting yourself on the back. <laughs> literally in the original meaning of the in word in the original literally. meaning of the yeah. word you're wrong there Ron. I'm not doing that I'm not contorting my body in that fashion but I am uh, figuratively patting myself on the back because that's exactly what I said that there's nothing that can happen this Saturday that will diminish the achievement of us beating the All Backs for the first time 110 nil. well that's a terrible result but that's not going to actually really change the story of what's happened in Chicago and I'd prefer if you you weren't throwing in fatuous (laughs) remarks like that on I mean sure we can debate the the topics all day long if you like but you know ridiculous remarks like 110 nil I don't think that aids the discourse at all so I'd like you to retract that remark I refuse to retract it but I will move on (laughs) Fair (laughs) fair enough because Liam Neeson had something to say for himself this week there was a small island on the edge of the world the last stop before the new world. And its people traveled the world, taking their place in the memory of the world. And the years passed and the world changed, and that island on the edge of the world found itself in the center of the world. Connecting the world. Yeah, that's Liam Neeson voicing the promo video at the launch of the Rugby World Sorry, Cup. Sorry, I, I thought we were going for the European, the Rugby <laughs> European Cup. We should have mentioned the, world, wor- the word world in our... 2023. Uh, yeah, oh there man. was clearly, that's the... Well, no, it was, it was fine. It's just a lot of... Drone footage of Skellig Vahil and our beautiful uh, uh, West of Ireland coast. Uh, Liam Neeson Talking in an extremely husky voice. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. choice, right choice, though. I mean, yeah. what a what a voice. Yeah. If we if we sat around the table for five minutes trying to decide what would a minute long video for Ireland's Rugby World Cup bid look like, we'd probably have come up with 
Liam Neeson and drone footage of the West of Ireland. Well, yeah. I would I would come up with the Lebanon ad guy. Le- yeah. Liam <laughs> Neeson. Liam Neeson in a druid's outfit walking along the West of Ireland. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Who's this? This is Lebanon. Just think Lebanon. Of, Where just, have you been all this time? Just I mean, think of uh, Liam Neeson in his taken wardrobe and hair <laughs> and he answers his mobile phone oh, and talks in that voice we've missed a trick I hope this doesn't yeah. count against us that we didn't get the Lebanon guy yeah. involved I will find you and I will give you the 2023 Rugby World Cup I don't know what I, you guys are know. thinking about this I, I'm very Needs excited work, that idea. yeah I'm very excited about the prospect of hosting this tournament and I like the fact that it's now whittled down to three wasn't there talk of Argentina the other, the other South Africa and France oh, well they're always hosting it France hosted in 2007 and South exactly. Africa well, South Africa has 1995. That was, oh, was actually the last. That's yeah. That was a long time ago. That was the other World Cup. I'd be probably more worried about South Africa, just purely based on. I was reading Johnny Watterson's article about this yesterday. To be honest, but both the South African and the French bids have problems that are very different to ours. Uh, ours would be that we just don't have the economies of scale of those countries, really, and but the I mean, experience of hosting massive tournaments. I know what happened was New Zealand hosted it, and then England hosted it, and England kind of blew New Zealand out of the water in terms of fan numbers, etc., purely because they're, it's such a bigger country with bigger stadia. So there's a concern that maybe, rather than going back to the New Zealand model, which is smaller stadia, packing out and a whole country really getting behind something, which which didn't happen, I, I don't think, in England. We were at a game in Wales and it didn't even feel like there was a tournament on, uh, to be honest with you. I'd like to think they'd go back to what they did eight years ago, but there's always a fear that once a certain amount of money is made and a certain amount of bums are on seats, mm. that they keep going f- further along that way. And So they just alternate between France and England every year? Yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be great. France have their problems. They, they've they got an Olympics bid. They're gluttons, these guys. Gluttons for major tournaments. They they want to host the Olympics the following year. Mm. And Bernard Lapisse is the head of that bid. Lapisse was the boss of French rugby and world rugby. It's a big, big hitter there. And there's a, sort of, a, a thought process there that Johnny Watterson talked about whereby maybe they want to keep the, the rugby bid not make too, not not try to make too much progress on that at the moment because there's they think it might end up sort of polluting the mm-hmm. bid for or watering down the bid for the Olympics. So there there could be an issue there for France. South Africa's main problem is the usual issue, unfortunately, surrounding quotas and this kind of thing. There's the government are still annoyed with the South African Rugby Union for not having the right amount of uh, black players. We're not having the the right quotas fulfilled and so forth. Now, they're going to be coming back to that in the next few months, so that problem might have so, been solved. So, you know, there's there's possibilities there. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if we're favourites. Yeah, it's hard I, to judge these things. I mean, England was a success in terms of fan numbers. I think 89,000 people turned up at Wembley to watch Ireland-Romania, which broke a record at the time. But rugby, not enough rugby countries play the sport uh, f- to be for it to be played in a major... And nation every single time so World Rugby are going to have to take a hit every now and then on a smaller nation like New Zealand or Ireland hosting it well, and um, and Ireland is kind of ideally suited in that it is an island it's small it will have that fever atmosphere which England really didn't have and Wales really didn't have during the last World Cup but Ireland also has you know Croke Park and the Aviva Stadium which are big stadiums you know there's, there's potential to have some you know large crowds if, if every game sells out it, it's in the region of 2 million tickets and there are 2.2 million tickets sold uh, for the Rugby World Cup in England so I mean it's not like it's well, you know that's, that's, it's having the it's not much difference no uh, th- no that well that is predicated on us selling out every single game which you know you would think I'd be really know, yeah. confident of that happening yeah well I mean even if it's 85% occupancy then you're looking still at huge huge crowd num- crowd numbers mm. and you know th- there are 
I mean, it would be unbelievably exciting. And what they would get is, you know, the, on the one side, there is the, mo- the money argument, and that's the one that wins, you know, 99.9% of the time. But if Ireland were hosting a World Cup for the six weeks of Ireland hosting that World Cup, there would literally be nothing talked about except the Rugby World Cup. And that has to count for something, surely, in the development of the game from World Rugby's point of view. I mean, there's like 10 countries playing this seriously, and you have the chance to revolutionise... 10% of your overall serious playing population in the world. Why not try and do it? I Plus, mean, yeah, they get a flat fee. Like the, the tickets, the, the governments essentially guarantee a fee on behalf of the organisers of the Irish bid. Uh, and that fee goes, that fee goes regardless. It's a couple hundred million or something crazy. It's 120 million. 120 it? million. Yeah. That goes to the to World Rugby. So they get that regardless of where it's being hosted. Uh, so it's not, and then the ticket sales contribute to trying to offset that cost for the host nations. But I guess it's just even as a, as a TV event and as an event where sponsors want people in stadia and this kind of stuff. It's it's it could be preferable still for World Rugby yeah. to go for the bigger types of venues. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I'm just putting that like that's not obviously. I wouldn't like to see it go that way because I think it's the perfect tournament for Ireland to host, size wise, scale wise. Mm. Yeah, I think we could easily do it, and I think it would be huge for the country and, and generally would benefit tourism and all that. Yeah, and sponsorship is about money, but it's also about engagement, you know? And you'd have to say that the engagement levels that you would get in Ireland hosting a you know major tournament for the very first time in our in our nation's history would be unprecedented. I'm just so. looking at the New Zealand one here from twenty eleven and there's only two stadiums that were over that were forty thousand or more. One of them is forty thousand miles and the the Auckland is the biggest one, sixty thousand. We've got actually quite a lot of yeah, we, we, seater stadiums for a, for a World now. Cup final. Auckland wasn't that amazing, um, and Croke Park would blow it out of the water. But just going back to the sort of benefits to Ireland, there's very few things. I know we're all into sport and we're sports journalists, but there's very few things a country can do that everybody has a bit of a stake in. Everybody could get involved in. Everybody would be excited about. I know not everybody here loves rugby, but I think, like you say, uh, Murph, if if it was on for six weeks here, there would just be an atmosphere in Ireland throughout. It would be a unique occasion. Irish people are pretty fecking good at uh, attending things and making things exciting. I do think it's important though to also not get not um, pin your hopes on there actually being any tangible benefits because there won't be. Like it will cost money, you know. Yeah, well, but I mean, well, when, when we were doing research, never, never. When really we were doing research in the old through. radio show uh, for New Zealand, I mean, they made that initial small loss. And then the benefits, even in the next year in tourism, totally wiped away any loss that they made. That was in one year. And no, they assume it goes on for sort of six, seven, eight years, those, those benefits to tourism. Philip Brown. Uh, it's, it's always a lot of nonsense. Like, yeah, they have to say that to get politicians to spend money on this sort of thing. I mean, in fact, the tourism, I think, is a little I don't know. dropped I, during the Olympics, you know, because people are like, oh, I'm not going there. The Olympics is on. It's going to be like chaos. And well, there will definitely be more people visiting Ireland during a Rugby World Cup than there would be if it wasn't on. That It's usually on September time. Mm. It's, so certainly that wouldn't be the case with Ireland. The tourism would drop during the tournament. It would absolutely explode, mm. Just if it was ju- even if it was just the people who were going to come to watch the rugby. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there, I think there would definitely be some benefits, but I think in net terms, when you host a, a big sporting event, it usually costs you money and the tangible benefits are not real. What you have to look at is are the intangible benefits worth it? Like London has this debt from the Olympics, but you know everyone had such a good time for yeah. you know a, a two fair, and a half weeks. So yeah. is it was it worth it? You know maybe it was. To be fair, we're not building uh, stadia in the jungle like Brazil are doing. You know mm. uh, these are sta- like 
they're all stadiums that have they're being used you know they're being used all the time so really what you're doing here is as a result of the ga the rugby can just piggyback on these grounds that are that are getting used that are getting built that are getting renovated all the time anyway so i mean the tangible benefits for the rugby world cup are the tangible maybe the intangible benefits after the rugby world cup are all being felt by the ga but i mean that's you know that's that's the the price you pay for for uh the ga allowing rugby to to use all the stadia for the duration of the world cup philip brown the rfa chief executive said there are no votes in the bag at all the reality is we've just launched and it's up to us to go out over the next 12 months and persuade people of the value and benefit of our bid to world rugby which is fine but i was kind of thinking really is that now i don't know how it works behind the scenes but remind me of something that Mr. Pat Hickey said to Maliki Clerken a couple of years back in February 2014. He says he was talking to Maliki about the Rugby World Cup bid. He says, I don't know if they realise how much work they have to do in places like Georgia, Romania, Moldova, all those places. I think they think that getting the home unions will be enough. I don't think the people in charge of the Irish bid have taken this into account. I've smelled the danger here that it's going to be political. If they want me to help them, I'll help them. If they don't, so be it. So, you know, you can accuse Pat Hickey of a lot of things, but not knowing his ways around the corridors of power to get things done isn't one of them. Uh, so I'd just be I'd just be a little concerned that we we might be fighting the very good fight and that there is... Uh, I, think, not, I think the maths the, of the, a there rugby are, World there, Cup bid are a lot simpler than the Olympics. Yeah, there are deals that maybe need to be done quite a long time in advance. But there's like how many countries are we actually dealing with here? Like 16 or something? The uh, Ireland versus New Zealand predictions, Simon, do you want to... I think we will play well again. Yeah. And lose by a small number of points. Small. So you're not going for hammering. That's good to hear. What's a small number? Seven? Yeah, six or seven. A score. It'll be exciting to the end. Uh, yeah, Ireland to lose by like ten. I think New Zealand will punish us. And, they, and they're right to punish us. For what we did to them. US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I'm deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Daddy's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, 40! Ryan Murphy, I believe you're speaking to us from somewhere very nice and picturesque today. Well, I'm thinking, how does a man prepare for a trip to the Liberty Theater on the Keys in Dublin? What he does is he goes, gets on a plane and flies the opposite direction to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, boys, live from Hawaii, the Aloha State, which has a lot in common with Ireland, I might add, because I'm looking at a lot of green. I'm looking at a lot of emerald here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I would call it the Ireland of the Pacific, Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, we are on a boondoggle. I think every year I talk to you guys from this because we have this yep. crazy great uh, thing going on with Hawaiian Airlines. Not Aer Lingus, don't you know? That's oh. later. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're here. I'm on the lanai, boys. It's not the It's not the deck. It's not the porch. It's the lanai, and that's the key to the whole thing, that even in Hawaii, things sound better. So I'm in full relaxation mode, boys. So you might have to explain to our listeners, Brian, there are new listeners to this podcast every week. They might know what you're talking about when you use the phrase uh, boondoggle. (laughs) So I I don't know how the 
sales guys are at the Irish Times, but maybe you got to get them cracking because we we hooked up a deal with the Ritz Carlton, a shabby little uh, a shabby little motel suite called the Ritz Carlton and Hawaiian Airlines to take our listeners once a year to uh, Hawaii for the week. And there's really nothing to it other than if we mention Hawaiian Airlines and Ritz Carlton enough, we can do it again the very next year. <laughs> I think you guys know that deal. So uh, there's an elaborate process of selecting 10 listeners, and off we go, wheels up, and we spend the week here in Maui, one of the many uh, Hawaiian Isles. They say Maui no ka'oi, boys. Now Maui is the best. Um, I'm not going to argue with them either right now as I stare out at the uh, Asia-Pacific and uh, and look at the the palm trees gently bending in the trade breeze. So <laughs> Ireland's got a Ireland's got a tall order to a tall shoes to. What am I trying to say? A tall bar to clear when uh, when we touch down at the Liberty Theater. But I'm confident that uh, the Emerald Isle will get her done. Does Brian know, Kieran, that? He's the hottest ticket in Ireland at the moment. It's kind of Justin Bieber-like fever I, that's gone for him. I felt I had to email him last week uh, when we when we sold out. Sold uh, out? In, sold out within hours? Uh, I mean, it was kind of like the boss. It was as if the boss was playing with us. That was the, the only, you know, um, okay, I, I, I'm going to say Beyonce and Justin Bieber would have sold out, you know, maybe a little quicker. But other than that, I mean, I don't know I don't know what, where else to, to place it, really, you know. It's, um, well... I mean, I'd love to step in and take some sort of credit for the whole deal, but I honestly, I, honestly, boys, it's all in the family. So I would expect nothing less because if if you guys come, you know, to San Francisco, the joint would sell out in a minute. I go to Ireland, we sell out joints in a minute. And if any of our dear podcast listeners had their own, uh, you know, theater productions, surely we would all be in attendance too. So yeah. it's all we're all pulling on the same rope. <laughs> so I want to thank uh, I want to thank the second captain's listeners for just reaffirming for me that we are one giant happy family. And uh, I'm thinking about coming now dressed as Springsteen circa 84, born in the USA Ooh, tour. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Maybe that'll it. be uh, – maybe, although- maybe I'll have to start looking at some bandanas, boys. Yeah, although I am I am thinking that – wasn't it a red baseball cap he had tucked into the, the bottom of the back pocket of his jeans, which might be a bit of a strange <laughs> look, you know, this month of all months. That would be my only slight concern. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah. We got on the damn Hawaiian Airlines flight on Sunday, and the wounds were still very raw. And by the way, they still are even a week later. But uh, there he was. Just some a-hole sitting in the front row rocking his Make America Great hat, Great Again hat. <laughs> just sitting there, row three. Actually, he was in first class, don't you know? Because yeah. uh, D- DJ Trump likes to look out for the forgotten man. But, uh, yeah, there he was. And it was almost like he was daring people to come up to him and, you know, knock it off his head. Or, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you guys remember the old battery commercials. Robert Conrad, the actor, put an ever-ready battery sh- on his shoulder. And he would say, I dare you to knock it off my shoulder. I think I'm dating myself here with that one. But, again, <laughs> YouTube it. Look it up. But it was almost like the guy was walking around with the hat going, go ahead, knock it off my head. Knock it off my head. And uh, I was I, – I took the high road. You know, boys, when they go low, we go high. So, But don't think I wasn't chewing into my tongue to uh, keep my mouth shut. But, uh, hey – what are you going to do? Yeah, there's a little bit of wind. I'm sure people might get over the Skype line, Brian, but they're going to have to accept that this is the... the, the I sort can of move back into the suite, guys. I can yeah. do you that. Can move. You've I, given I, people I, a taste of outdoors there in a way. You can move back and people... I wanted to give you guys a, a, a taste like of the lanai, and now I'm moving back <laughs> into the suite. That's right. I said it. 
the suite at oh, the Ritz Carlton. So climate you, controlled, boys. Climate controlled. I'll tell you one guy who was not wearing a President Trump cap over the last seven days. A, a uh, President elect Trump make America great again cap, and that's Greg Popovich. Let's play this clip. Simon San, San Antonio Spurs coach. I'm still sick to my stomach, and not basically because the Republicans won or anything, but uh, the disgusting tenure and tone and all the comments that have been xenophobic, homophobic, racist, misogynistic, and I, I live in that country where half the people ignored all that. Uh, I look at the evangelicals and I wonder, those, those values don't mean anything to them? All those values, to me, are more important than anybody's skill in business or anything else, because it tells who we are and how we want to live and what kind of people we are. It, it, it leaves me wondering where I've been living and with whom I'm living. And the fact that people can just gloss that over and start talking about the transition team and, you know, we're all going to be kumbaya now and trying to make the country good without talking about any of those things. Uh, and now we see that he's already backing off on immigration, on Obamacare and other things. So was it a big fake? Uh, which makes you feel that's even more disgusting and cynical, that somebody would use that to get the base that fired up. And what gets lost in the process are African Americans and Hispanics and women uh, and the gay population, not to mention uh, the eighth grade developmental stage exhibited by him when he made fun of the handicapped person. I mean, come on. That's what a 7th grade, 8th grade bully does. And he was elected President of the United States. You know, I'm, I'm a rich white guy, and I'm sick to my stomach thinking about it. I, I can't imagine being a Muslim right now, or a, a woman, or an African American, an Hispanic, a handicapped person, uh, how disenfranchised they might feel. And for anyone in those groups that voted for him, it's just beyond my comprehension how they ignore all that. And so my final conclusion is my big fear is we are Rome. Well, there you go. That's some you know, genuine pain you can hear there uh, from a man articulating what obviously, what I was about to say, a lot of people in America have been thinking over the last week, certainly maybe roughly around half the population. But that's a we're talking about a huge figure, Brian, in sport in America, legendary coaching figure. There is he known for political type speeches like that? He's not. That's why it was it was so stunning and important to hear it because it's one of those things where less is more. When if he went around chirping all the time, you would tune him out. Uh, this has been a, a a very surprising and. To some people, unwelcome. To other people, welcome development to have. It wasn't just Greg Popovich, but Warriors coach Steve Kerr uh, went on a three-minute answer that has said essentially the same thing. I would say Popovich, is, I think, gets the gold medal for just its use of language, its pace, um, his, uh, the substance of his message. But Kerr's was pretty darn good, too. And Detroit Pistons coach Stan Van Gundy was the first to do it. He did it literally hours after the election on a Wednesday morning shoot-around. He expressed great dismay and disgust that uh, exactly what Popovich said, that things that were said have seemingly been glossed over now and, and values that were expressed were, were 
were affirmed, or I should say, um, you know, questionable and dubious values were affirmed. This is all stuff we talked about a week ago when you guys got me. You guys got me in the rawest of states. It was only, I mean, geez, it was like five, six hours after the election. And and so we've now had three NBA coaches say this. On top of that, guys, it's leaking out that I think they said at least three and as many as eight NBA teams have now altered their travel plans to not stay at Trump uh, hotels that had previously been the the uh, home for NBA teams when they travel. This also came out earlier in the summer when Dodgers slugger Adrian Gonzalez, who's of Mexican-American descent, uh, it was let slip that he individually would not stay with the Dodgers at Trump hotels. When he was asked about it, he just simply said, I declined to stay, but that you, yes, that's an accurate statement. So a big, big deal was made of it for a few days. Unfortunately, it doesn't change anything. It does make those of us who, by the way, there are more of us. And if you guys want to do a podcast on the Electoral College one day, I'll come over and sit down for like 20 hours and talk to you. But her lead, Hillary's lead is now a million, million plus. I think it's 1.2 million over Trump. It's now getting into like craziness, craziness that she might win by as many as 2 million votes in the popular vote in this Electoral College which he won each of the key states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, by by about, I think, a grand total of the three combined states, 100,000 votes. And she's now going to win the popular vote by over one, maybe close to 1.52 million is becoming a staggering thing. But as far as the sports world goes, nobody saw this coming from Van Gundy, Kerr, and especially Popovich. But Greg Popovich is one of those guys who has Bill Belichick-like level elite status in the in the American sports community. He's got five championships. He's always viewed as an incredibly intelligent guy, a guy who everybody admires his intellect, everybody admires the way he goes about his business, everybody admires his deadpan humor, and nobody really thought this was coming. On the flip side, guys, Bill Belichick, the guy I just compared him to, wrote a letter to Trump expressing his admiration for him. So you get six of one and you get half a dozen of another. Actually, that's the wrong phrase. You get six of one and something totally opposite of the other. But Popovich and Kerr and Van Gundy gave comfort to the majority of Americans who voted against them. Yeah, I've got a bit of the transcript of that letter, Brian, in front of me. I don't know if I want to heap any more pain upon you. But here we go. Donald, congratulations. Oh, no, we got we to gotta acknowledge the... Uh, Acknowledge the two-way street that is the ballot box. What do you say? He said, Donald, congratulations on a tremendous campaign. You have dealt with an unbelievably slanted and negative media and have come out of it beautifully. You've proved to be the ultimate competitor and fighter. Your leadership's amazing. I've always had tremendous respect for you, but the toughness and perseverance you've displayed over the past year is remarkable. Hopefully tomorrow's election results will give you the opportunity to make America great again. I'm, I'm using that tone because there's a lot of sort of... Uh, exclamation marks. A lot marks. of exclamation marks, yeah. Best wishes for great results tomorrow from Bill Belichick. There was a, there was a Trump read that out at a rally and then there was a bit of to and fro as to whether it was supposed to go public, but apparently it was. The latest I read was that Belichick was happy for that to go public, although he didn't seem to want to expand on it too much once he was being asked about it. But there it is. So, and that's another point of view. Am, am I reading too much into it by seeing that it's a lot of NBA coaches who've gone one way and... Uh, Bill Belichick, the NFL coach, has got another. I know it was a podcast. I don't know if you ever heard the Hang Up and Listen podcast on Slate, Brian. But they made the point that there's a more of a culture of speaking out in the NBA. There's more sort of free thought. Not that Bill Belichick isn't free, but that the culture of the sport in which basketball is played creates notions of creativity and expression. There's an embodiment of that sort of thing, which doesn't exist to the same extent in football. So you don't have too many people speaking out, too many NFL coaches speaking out about this compared to NBA. 
Yeah, it's, it, there's a lot going on there, and these are all very good points. Um, the, the NFL, another uh, NFL coach, Rex Ryan of the Buffalo Bills, also openly supported Donald Trump and, and appeared at his rally. You can immediately say, well, the NBA is a much more African-American sport, but it really isn't statistically. I mean, it is more so than the NFL. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think both are over 50%, but the NBA would be more so. So that is is, is one of the reasons why. Yeah, the NBA, I think, is a much more interpersonal sport, and I think the NFL is a much more m- sort of militaristic um, sort of a machine-like sport. You know, there's this – the NFL likes to think of itself as the military. They speak in military terms. The draft room is the war room. You know, George Carlin did his whole bit. We're going to blitz. We're going to blitz the quarterback and throw a bomb down the field. You know, all these military terms that have always occupied the American football landscape has actually led to coaches almost acting like generals. They act like George Patton or Douglas MacArthur or whoever – and it, and it often gets eye rolls and mocked by many, many people, but they soldier on with it. There you go. Soldier on with it. Another pun. But uh, and I think that's sort of like leads to the admiration for a kind of a almost like a bully or a, what what uh, what what Bill Belichick calls tough leader, tough leadership. And Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr and Stan Van Gundy see as insulting personal values. You know, an NBA team only has 15 players. You know, really five on the floor at a time. They're stripped down to just tank top and shorts. You see the people. You see, you get, it's a much more of a, a direct face-to-face sport. The NFL has 53 players on the sidelines in, in shoulder pads and helmets. You don't see the people. So it's led to this sort of, mm, you know, the kind of uh, the kind of attitude in the NFL that would endorse a guy kind of bullying his way across the landscape, a guy kind of um, stomping on, I doesn't care if he stomps on people's feelings as long as he gets what he wants. And that's what I see as matching with the NFL. Whereas the NBA, as you alluded to earlier, that is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch a little bit, but I mean, there is a connection there too, that the NBA is a more individualistic and expressive sport for sure. I mean, heck we have dunk contests where guys go and show their artistic creativity individually. Um, so yeah, there is something to that. I that all that said, guys, I did not see this coming. I did not see the Van Gundy, Kerr, and Popovich um, really kind of sticking up for their players mostly. Also, too, I think that they look around and maybe they see one white player on their bench, two white players, or Utah Jazz, four or five white players. But I think they they kind of feel it more personally. And, you know, you've got guys like uh, LeBron James coming out and campaigning for Hillary Clinton. And you got guys like Steph Curry tweeting out when Van Jones on CNN gave his emotional comment that he thought this was a white lash in the in America. Steph Curry tweeted out support for Van Jones. So you, you've seen a, it's a different culture. It, it, it's surprising in a way that it came so starkly bare. But I think that shows just how incredibly unique and destructive this campaign was to a lot of American fiber that we're getting guys saying things that we wouldn't usually get guys to say things. I'm glad they are. Some people say, you know, you guys have seen it a million times on your Twitter feed. Stick to sports. Stick to sports. Stick to sports. (laughs) Well, no. They're Americans and citizens of the world. They can speak. You don't have to listen to everything they say. But it's interesting to hear their opinions given the life experiences they have had. Did the Kaepernick experience and the groundswell that started building behind him not help to foster a bit more of a spirit of openness among NFL players. Maybe I've missed it, but I, I don't feel like there's a that many American footballers have come out and talked one way or the other too much about this. 
No, it, it's been only uh, the answer is yes and no. Yes, more players have come out. We have a weekly show with a wide receiver named Tory Smith, who's a uh, <clears throat> a very intelligent African American guy who's been aware and, and active in social justice issues. We talked to him about it. He's enjoyed and appreciated what Kaepernick has done. But really, you're only talking about a handful of guys that have done it now. You know, was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, whatever around the league. Now you multiply thirty-two teams by fifty-three guys. And that's not a very big percentage. And in fact, guys, there are theories that, you know, among the many, many, many reasons why Hillary Clinton lost the election, I say lost with air quotes. I want to return to the fact that she's a million votes ahead in the popular vote, which is going to stick in my craw for eternity that more Americans voted for the candidate that's not in the White House. That makes zero sense. But we move on to why she lost the election with air quotes. And among the many things, whether it's, um, you know, she didn't visit the red uh, Wisconsin, the blue wall of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. She didn't do the Bill Clinton, I feel your pain thing, and Donald Trump did, and he deserves credit for outworking her on that front. But there was also a, be- a belief that there's sort of a cultural backlash to overly politically correct society, uh, to, you know, Black Lives Matter movement angered a lot of white America, as it turns out. We didn't know this on the coast. We coastal elites didn't know this as much. But some theories are the Kaepernick thing. Is, is a little tiny pebble in the in the wall, too, that Kaepernick's protest angered enough uh, of white America in sort of middle America that they it's all part of this wall that they saw Trump representing the opposite. They saw Trump representing the guy who criticizes Kaepernick. And so Kaepernick's stance uh, winds up being maybe one of the little tiny reasons why Hillary Clinton didn't get enough votes in the in the Midwestern states that used to be blue and went red. And guys, by the way, bad week for Kaepernick. He revealed that he didn't vote, which caused much criticism across the country. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick How didn't you, vote. You guys ready for this? Yeah. Not only did he not vote, digger deeping by my friend at the Sacramento Bee, Matt Barrows, revealed that he's never registered to vote. Never. So he is coming under a hailstorm of criticism for being this guy who wants to make these great statements about America but won't go and vote. Then he confronted the question head on and said it would be hypocritical for me to vote. He said because the system is oppression and the system it doesn't matter who the face of the system is whether it's democrat or republican the system is oppressive and me voting for the system means I'm continuing the oppression which a lot of people just said oh, are you kidding you know you can do your air your air you can do a gesture with your hand in the air or you can roll your eyes and say dude how did the I mean the Voting Rights Act and all these things that have changed society for African Americans, uh, you know, whether have come about because of elections, because of congressmen and senators and presidents working towards these things, and not to mention the fact that there were other issues on the California ballot he could have voted on. There was a repeal of the death penalty, which I'm sure he's against. There was a a release for nonviolent offenders in prison that he could have voted for. He chose not to vote for any of these. His stock took a major hit this week. Uh, the guy I mentioned, Tory Smith, who comes on our show, his wide receiver on the 49ers said he didn't want to like rip Kaepernick, but he said, all I'm going to say is this. My forebears, my ancestors marched and were beaten and were thrown in jail for the right to get the Voting Rights pass, Act passed. I don't go to the ballot box, and I let my, my grandparents and my great-grandparents down who fought so hard for these things. So, I mean, there's almost no way for – I mean, there are people now trying to backlash and support Kaepernick, but I just don't buy it. 
He took a major hit this week, guys. Brian, I know you're sitting there in your Stars and Stripes swimming trunks and your I'm with her t-shirt. I'm still with her. I remain with her. So we'll let you go and I guess hit the beach. Yes, yeah, There was just one quick question, Brian. Um, for people who want to get to the Ritz-Carlton in Hawaii could you from Dublin, could you recommend the two airlines that they would need to travel with <laughs> to get to the Ritz-Carlton in Maui? Oh, well played, my man. I would certainly board. I'm just saying, I mean, you can double yeah. check this. I will. Don't I would worry. start with Aer Lingus. Okay, from in Dublin, Dublin to San Francisco. Okay, that's just yeah. like, that's kind of where I might go. Yeah, you yeah. might be shoved somewhere. Okay, start on Aer Lingus. That's going to sling you over to the States. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in the States. I'm wandering around the airport. What do I see? Oh, there it is. Hawaiian Airlines. There's the desk. <laughs> wow. They're welcoming me. <laughs> Guys, that's a one two punch. Here we are. <laughs> from you to me, two airlines. We did it. Enjoy, Brian. Guys, can't wait to see you in a couple weeks. Take care. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown! Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the city. Six foot nine outside here! Yeah. On the sidewalk where the neon sign is. Oh, rejected by Parker! How can you lose? Pops this shot! Nothing but net! You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans! So go downtown! Things will be great when you're downtown! No final place for sure. Downtown! I really didn't think uh, Colin Kaepernick would be one not to vote, but I suppose I'm just reading his quotes here now that Brian brought up. I thought a lot of different things about the process and what I could do and couldn't do. Once again, the system of oppression is what I have an issue with. I don't agree with the system of oppression, and that's something that I'll continue to not agree with. To me, it really didn't matter who went in there. The system's still intact that oppresses people of colour. When asked why he would not vote in other elections that could impact change locally, Kaepernick stated there's more than one way to create change. So it sounds like he's... he's well, Kaepernick has lost a little bit of the luster that he had around his uh, around his name there a few months ago. So just voted, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, that's all he can do, really. He's not even registered to vote, Brian said. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so obviously... he hasn't voted more, on anything. There's more than one way to make a change, but... One way is this. <laughs> you do, why, would you, why would you limit yourself to just one way of making change? You mm. mean, there's, there are many ways of doing it. Some are more effective than others, but... I also don't like his, you know... The system of oppression, oh, there's no difference. There was a difference, a really obvious mm. difference, you know? You're telling me that it wouldn't have made any... Come on. Yeah, it's true. Come on, man. Thanks again for the huge response, by the way, to our live show on December 4th. The gang's all here. And a big thanks to our friends at Original Penguin Clothing, too, for helping make that happen. We will be recording it as our 750th podcast and putting it out for you on the Monday. So even if you don't haven't been able to get a ticket... You won't miss any of Brian's return to Ireland. I know that's not quite the same as being there, but don't worry, we'll have plenty more live events in 2017. No no need to download the bootleg versions of this particular live gig. We will release a, a master version, so it, it's fine. If your main motivation in applying for tickets was simply to pick up a copy of the book, well, you can go to secondcaptains.com to get a copy of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2. Free shipping, Murph, I'm pretty sure, to anywhere in Ireland, the UK. Yes, yes, yes on. Correct. I think we've we've cleared up any difficulties that we may have had in relation to that. I think we're all reading off the same page there. Free shipping, Ireland, UK, 1799. Secondcaptains.com. Can't tell us what's in the Irish Times. Second Captain's football podcast, please. That's.
Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's all about footballers under downtime, Owen. Are they entitled to a glass or two of wine? Are they, are they perhaps entitled to smoke up a little bit of weed after training? <laughs> uh, there's differing views out there. We're going to speak to John Bruin and... Marcella Mora Irahu to uh, get their opinions on what's been happening with Wayne Rooney and Lionel Messi. I wonder is old uh, Liam Neeson still there? a small island on the edge yeah. of the world. Oh yeah. He's the last old. stop before the new world of that. And it's world, world, world. The world. Taking their place in the memory of, of the world. world. Okay, you We'll leave the you go, Liam. Thanks very much. I want to know what happens at the end of the third. I'm going to fade him down. It's on the internet. No, I'm going to have to go and look at the ad now. Yeah, go we're going to win the bid Support the, the bid for RWC 2023. Yeah. Thanks, Liam Neeson. Thanks very much, Ken. Everyone loves the Irish is the end of that, by the way. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Thanks, Murph. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.